Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money. Today's program, here's the question that so many people ask us. It's amazing. Just day before yesterday, someone in the office comes in, and we're talking, going through this whole process, and this is the question that was asked. Will Social Security be around in five years for me? How about 10? Well, it's a good question. But based on the increase in the consumer price index from the third quarter of 2017 to the third quarter of 2018, they, Social Security, say they will not only be there for you, but Social Security beneficiaries will receive a 2.8% cost of living adjustment in the monthly payments beginning in January of 2019. So we've asked Kurt Zornowski to join us today. He's going to help us go through this whole process, answering your questions about Social Security. And the main question he's going to help us know is what's changed for 2019. Also, with me today, Shannon Dyson and Scott Jordan. We're in the middle of the open enrollment season for both Medicare and individual health plans. And are you getting as many phone calls and as much mail as I'm getting? This time of the year is confusing to a lot of people, so we're going to talk about Medicare and what you need to know. What are the different plans of Medicare? What are the different parts? What do you need to know about it? How do you make sense of all the mail and the phone calls and the unsolicited phone calls? Shannon and Scott will help us understand what to do with this enormous amount of information. Here's something from our Did You Know Files. 2019 will have a Republican in the White House. And while control of the Congress is going to be split, Republicans still control the Senate, and Democrats will now have at least amount of control in the House. That's all old news. But with that said, remember that past performance is not an indicator of future performance. However, you're going to find this interesting. Over the last 80 years, from 1938 to 2017, the S&P 500 has gained 11.1% per year. That's a total return when control in Congress was split regardless of the House party was who is in the White House. And again, from our BDN research, the S&P 500 stock index has gained an average of 15.3% in one year following the last 17 midterm elections. Now, let me clarify that. That is a change of the index value, not counting in reinvested dividends, for the one-year period following the midterm elections from 1950 through 2014. Each one of these 17 one-year periods, that's 100% of them, resulted in a stock market gain for the S&P 500. Now, what am I saying? Past performance is not an indicator of future performance, and keep your politics out of your investments. The Government Accountability Office has recently published that an estimated 10,400 Americans will turn 65 Years of age, this next year, that's beginning, that's 2019, this group represents the ninth year of 19 successive years of baby boomers turning age 65. So, 
Here's the math. Let's just look at it. In twenty in twenty twenty nine, it's estimated that eleven thousand five hundred Americans will turn sixty five. So if you do the math, that's each day. That's about forty million people by twenty nine twenty twenty nine. Now here's the question, and Kurt's going to help us with it. Will Social Security still be able to handle the numbers? And that is the question for him, and I know he knows the answer. Coming up, Kurt Zarnowski with the answer to your questions. Will Social Security be there? What's going to happen in 2019? Shannon Dyson, Scott Jordan, understanding all the noise about Medicare enrollment. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on the podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Like us on Facebook. We'd appreciate it. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990, FM 107.9. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Podcast of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securing Financial Services is affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski or Zarnowski Consulting. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, a frequent guest of ours and one that is favored by all of you as listeners because he answers your questions about Social Security, and we welcome him to the program, Kurt Zarnowski, president and founder of Zarnowski Consultant. Welcome, sir, to the program. Hey, good morning, Jim, and uh, let me just tell you this. It was nice to hear the weather forecast down there because it's not altogether different from what I'm experiencing up here in New England. So, uh, I hear you. We're suffering together today, my friend. <laughs> well, we're all bundled up, that's for sure. Let me ask you a question. I, You know, one of the biggest it's amazing, and I did it in the monologue, Kurt, that I, we had somebody, a very sharp, intelligent, well-rounded person, walks into the office, and if we go through this process and we're talking to him, and he says, you know, hey, I'm concerned. Is Social Security going to be around for me when I turn 70? Now, he happens to be turning 65 here in the next couple of months. And why is it that so many people have that question? By the way, he was not kidding. He was dead serious. So my first question to you, is Social Security going to be around in five years? Well, Jim, I always get that question. And I'm always usually beginning my answer by saying I'm very reluctant to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> I hear you. Yogi Berra line. Yogi Berra line. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got yeah. it. Especially so about I th- the future. I think people need to understand how the Social Security system operates. It's money coming in, it's money going out. And Social Security's primary source of income is payroll tax dollars collected from employers, employees, and people who are self-employed. So lots of times people, and particularly young folks, say, well, there's not going to be anything there whatsoever. Keep in mind, absent a complete and total collapse of the United States economy so that nobody anywhere is working, Social Security is always going to have a revenue stream of some sort. It's impossible to consider the fact that Social Security won't have any money there whatsoever. More logical question to ask, though, is, looking down the road, the income stream projected thought to be enough to cover 100% of the benefits that have been promised. And each year, Social Security's Board of Trustees issues a report on the financial health of the system, not only giving current status, but attempting to project 75 years into the future. The 2018 report came out in June, basically says, as currently constituted, assuming no changes to the program whatsoever, no increase in taxes, no cuts in benefits, absolute maintenance of status quo going forward, they project that the system will have enough money on hand to cover 100% of the promised benefits each and every month through the end of the year 2034, 
But the report also goes on to say, which a lot of people conveniently overlook, that from that point forward, it's not going to be that Social Security has no money there whatsoever, but the income at that point projected to be enough to cover only about 79% of the benefits that have been promised. So to put some context on this, you're talking about a system that fought to have enough money to cover 100% of the benefits through the year 2034. Beginning at that point, it's not like there's going to be no money there. Thought to have enough to cover 79%. So the issue confronting Congress and the American public is not how do you close a 100% funding gap by tomorrow. No, it's how by the end of 2034 do you close this 21% funding gap. And that's a lot different than a lot of people think. That is so important for the way you put that because you explain it in such a way that I think it, it, it clarifies this question. And yet it seems that question continues because we do see news like I did in the monologue that recently General the Government Accountability Office talks about this 10,400 Americans will turn 65 each day. And they don't they don't I mean, that's that's what's expected. It's what was created when we had the baby boomer gener- generation. And yet they tie it together somehow to say we're creating this huge, enormous number of people that we just won't be able to take care of people in the future as we have promised But now, I just also said, and you're going to talk about it, we're going to get a tax or an increase for 2019 because of the cost of living increase. Tell us about that. Sure. And, you know, it's one of the great things. So now we're shifting gears from the money coming in to now the benefits being paid out. One of the great things about the Social Security system is that it is very much akin to that traditional defined benefit pension plan which is going the way of the dodo by and large, right. meaning that once you become eligible for Social Security payments, you can't outlive your money. The system will pay you each and every month until the month you pass away. One of the other strengths of the program, though, is not only is it like this defined benefit pension where you can't outlive it, it also has, and has since 1975, had an inflation protection component built into it. Beginning in 1975, Social Security each year provides an automatic cost-of-living increase to Social Security beneficiaries based on the increase in a measure called the Consumer Price Index for Urban Wage Earners. The CPIW is the abbreviation. It's a measure of inflation, tracks inflation in a market basket of goods and services, And the period of time that Social Security uses in determining the COLA is a comparison between the third quarter of one calendar year with the third quarter of the following calendar year. So between the third quarter of 2017 and the third quarter of 2018, that CPIW measure increased by 2.8%, which means that beginning in payments received in the month of January, Social Security beneficiaries will see a 2.8% increase in their monthly payments. And this automatic COLA feature of Social Security is just so vitally important because people are living so much longer in retirement. We talked in previous shows, Jim, about life expectancy increasing. And if you retire, Social Security numbers say 65-year-old man on average expected to live to age 84, 65-year-old woman on average to age 86. You could be living 20, 25, or perhaps even 30 years in retirement, and if you don't have some measure of inflation protection built into your income in retirement, the purchasing power of what you've earned is just going to fall off a cliff. So an important part of Social Security, 
meaning 2.8% increase in payments that people received beginning in the month of January. You know, when you talk about that, Kurt, you say, you know, that's, that's, that is such a big deal, especially with the fact that we are living longer. Let's look at 2019, though. I think so many people forget that there are changes that take place pretty much every year. And what i like to focus with you is the idea that what's taken, what's really changed as far as Social Security, about what we've got to pay. If I'm making payments into Social Security, uh, and I know I'm eventually going to get something, am I going to see it go up dramatically this year? Social Security and my Medicare taxes. Let's talk about those for a second. Sure. You know, and so Social Security, you get coverage and protection under the Social Security program. If you work in a job covered under Social Security where you pay Social Security tax, FICA tax, or you can get coverage and protection based on the work and earnings of a family member. But it is an earned right. You get Social Security benefits because you've worked and paid that payroll tax. Now, each year, there's a maximum level of earnings that somebody may have that are going to be subject to that Social Security payroll tax. And 2018, for example, you pay Social Security tax on the first $128,400 that you make. Well, that figure goes up in 2019, and you'll pay Social Security tax on the first $132,900 that you make. Now, the payroll tax rate itself has not changed in that you as an employee matched by your employer will each pay a 6.2% tax rate on that earnings base. The tax rate hasn't changed, but what has increased is that taxable maximum. And why is that important? Well, because anyone and everyone's benefit is based on an average of their highest 35 years of work under the system. And so if you now are paying taxes on a higher level of income, that means your benefit is going to be higher, well, largely because you'll have paid more in Social Security payroll taxes. So that increase in the wage base, that's going up. The tax rate, stayed the same, and it stayed the same, frankly, since 1991. But those earning above $128,400 are going to pay more next year in Social Security payroll tax because the wage base has increased. You know, I guess I guess so many people think that through and they think, okay, I'm continuing to make the payment. Maybe that's part of the reason why the question comes about that is it going to be there for me because I've been paying on it so long. You know, I know we talk about this, Kurt, but I, I've got to just step back for a second. We've gone from, you said it earlier, Social Security is a defined benefit plan. If you look at retirement planning for the last 30 years, we've gone from a lot of companies that offer defined benefit plans to the 401k plan, which becomes I'm going to contribute and then I've got to hope it's going to be there for me when I retire. But the Social Security plan is I'm contributing into the plan and it is a defined benefit plan. Would you make sure that it can you delineate between the two and why it's important for people to understand the difference? Sure, because. With that 401k, 403b, 457 type plan, yeah, you pay money into the plan. Sometimes, and part of it is you get a federal income tax break while you're making those contributions. But at the end of the day, when you retire, you walk out the door with a pile of money. And the burden has been shifted on to you, the retiree, to figure out how to make this money last through what now could be this, or will be this, perhaps, hopefully, an extended period of time in retirement. And whether you have money coming 20, 25, 30 years down the road, which is likely to be your life expectancy, well, it depends on how well you've done in managing that pile of money. With Social Security, 
you walk out the door, yeah, you don't have a pile of money, but instead you have this promise, a guarantee of a monthly benefit to you that will be paid until the month you pass away. You could, living 20, 30, whatever years in retirement, certainly outlive in terms of returns whatever you have paid into the system, but that's not going to matter. You're going to collect payments from the first month of eligibility till the month you pass away. Doesn't, isn't your payout, lifetime payout, isn't capped, and it isn't determined by what your contributions had been. You need to have earned a certain number of Social Security credits to qualify for anything in the first place. You need 40 credits, the equivalent of 10 years of work. But once you've got that 40 credits, you're going to qualify for payments. And as I said, you can't outlive your Social Security benefits. You'll continue to be paid month over month right up until the month you pass away. You know, that is, I think the way you explained it is so clear because it is part of a planning process. And we have to understand that Social Security, we talk about a three-legged stool a lot. We talk about Social Security being one leg of it. We talk about your retirement 401 or whatever it is, your your qualified money, and then your personal savings. But it's so important that people understand it takes all three to make it happen. And one of the things that so many people do, and, and I want you to help us with this, they get to that age or they, they say, well, I get to retire at 62 or 65 or 70 or whatever it is, but they still need to work. There are some penalties about working if it's not full retirement age. Explain those to us. And has there been any changes in 2019? Sure, absolutely. And it's you know important to note, the Social Security program, it's akin to retirement insurance, you know, and it pays benefits to you if you are retired. And as part of that rationale, what the law says is if you are under your full retirement age, and that's a key concept, Jim, we talked about it before, people need to make sure you know what your Social Security full retirement age is for anyone born between 19... 19- 43 and 1954, it's the month you turn age 66, grows a little bit past that, tops out right now, anyone born 1960 or later. Social Security full retirement age is the month you turn age 67. So you need to make sure you know what yours is, because what the law says is, if you are under your full retirement age, looking to collect Social Security retirement benefits, but intending to work at the same time, You need to understand that you're limited at how much you can earn before it begins to impact your ability to collect. 2018, for example, you're under full retirement age. You're allowed to make up to $17,040 without any loss of benefit payments. You make above that doesn't mean you can't collect at all, but Social Security starts to hold back back $1 in benefits for each $2 that you're over the threshold. So depending on how much you're making this year, you may want to collect but you may not be able to, not because you're not old enough, but because you're continuing to work and you're not going to qualify for retirement insurance payments. And in 2019, that figure jumps to $17,640. So it counts towards that. Just two things. Wages or net income from self-employment. Unearned income, like a VA benefit, General Motors pension, 401k distributions, none of that counts. But the important thing to also remember is From the month you reach your full retirement age, though, you are allowed to work and earn as much as you'd like and collect Social Security benefits at the same time. So full retirement age on, no earnings limitation, under full retirement age, 
a limitation, which this year $17,040 jumps to $17,640 next year. Now, one last point, people often ask, well, I'm retired and I'm going back to work. I don't have to pay Social Security tax on my earnings, do I? Well, yes, you do. But the good news is, as I mentioned before, your benefits always calculated based on an average of your 35 highest years of work under the system. And it's your high 35, regardless of when they occur. Isn't necessarily your first 35, isn't necessarily your last 35 years of earnings. It isn't even necessarily 35 consecutive years. So as long as you are working, paying into the system, there's always the possibility that those additional earnings will increase your payment, but it's as long as they're higher than the lowest of the 35 inflation-adjusted years that Social Security had been averaging in calculating your payments. And this ability to increase your payment through additional work, it continues forever. You're 80, you're 85, you're still working, you're paying into the system. As long as those earnings are higher than the lowest of your 35 years, end of the year you file your tax return, Social Security does a match, they will automatically recompute your benefit. Drop out the lowest of the 35 years, plug in that new higher year, it'll result in a benefit increase for you. So work never hurts, frankly, after full retirement age. There's always a possibility to increase your payment. And on the other side, it's never going to lower it because it's always your highest 35 years. You have a low year of earnings. Well, your benefit doesn't go down. It continues the same because, again, it's based on that average of your highest 35 years of work. That is such great information. And we've only got about a minute left, but I do want you to tie in if a person continues to work and doesn't take Social Security at 66 or full retirement age, they get an increase. Literally, we got just a minute and a half. Tell us what that's all about. What, What is the number? So, again, Important to know what your full retirement age is. Recognize that if you start collecting before you've reached your full retirement age, you get less each month. Your payments reduce. Theory being, by starting sooner, you'll be collecting for a longer period of time, so you're given less on an individual monthly basis. But by the same token, you opt to defer past your full retirement age. Now, in theory, you'll be collecting for a shorter period of time, so you find your benefit amount is increased if you waited. These are called delayed retirement credits. And for each month past your full retirement age that you opt not to collect your payment, your benefit is permanently increased by two-thirds of a percent. Two-thirds percent per month, that translates into an 8% per year increase by waiting. But you don't have to not collect for a full year. For each month you defer, your benefit permanently increased. But the key thing is these delayed retirement credits only accrue from full retirement age until you turn age 70. Now, you never have to take your Social Security benefits, but deferring past age 70, you see no additional increase in your monthly payment because you haven't collected. But for each month from full retirement age, right up until age 70 that you defer, benefit increase by that two-thirds percent, eight percent per year. Uh, it's Kirk Jarnowski, president and founder of Jarnowski Consultant, a frequent guest, a very good guest because he always gives us an update on Social Security. Kirk, thank you so much, and happy Thanksgiving to you, sir. Happy Thanksgiving, and stay warm. It's uh, wicked cold out there today. <laughs> That's right. Wicked cold. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 
And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we're in the middle of enrollment season for Medicare and individual health plans. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting enough mail. I have, I do qualify for Medicare, and uh, I went ahead and signed up when I turned 65. And But now, all of a sudden, I get all of the supplement plans and all of the calls and it's amazing. I, I guess I'm averaging a call or two a day, it seems like. You know, about I've get, I got a call about a pain problem that I had, which I didn't know I had, but somebody figured it out that I had one. And I mean, so I know all of that's confusing. And the problem that I really get from a lot of people, a lot of questions, is what do I do with Medicare? Why do I have to do this? Should I do this? I just found out this. I didn't know this. It's confusing. Well, my guest is going to clean up a lot of your questions because we're going to try to go through them one, on, one, one at a time and help you understand. So you may need to want to get a piece of paper and a pencil and write some of the answers down because Scott Jordan and Shannon Dyson are here, and they're going to go through this process of an update on Medicare enrollment and health insurance, your health care enrollment. A lot of changes. So let's start with you, Shannon. If we start about Medicare and all this noise, and it's, you know, it's just, it's a grind. It really, I mean, it's confusing. And again, you look at people and they, they ask questions and it's like deer in the headlights. What do I do? And I don't know why, but, but we make something that shouldn't be so difficult and we turn it into a very, very difficult process. So help me understand this. When a person turns 65, what do you think is going through their minds? Well, first, thanks for having me back again. I appreciate being here. Yeah, somehow you're a pretty good guest. You know? uh, thank a, you. I appreciate that. You do a good that. job. Um, yeah, it, it is a confusing uh, confusing time of year. And uh, when we have people come into the office, uh, typically they'll bring uh, a shoebox full of mailers that they're getting. So you're not the only one getting things in the mail. And they'll talk about all the phone calls uh, that they get, and then all the commercials. And so you hear commercials about Medicare Advantage and Prescription Part D. Uh, there's there's not a lot of information on those commercials, uh, probably in, intended to be that way. So you call the phone one, number. Yeah, I saw one the other day. Said sign up for this one. It's free. It's free. Yeah. That's, I mean, now who in the world would? I mean, you got to say, okay, what's where's the catch? Yeah. But they sure don't tell you any catches until you get into it. Well, free sounds good. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's, well, a great, that's a great marketing uh, tool there. Uh, and there are plans that are free. Uh, so I think the important thing uh, is knowing for each individual what is best and what is right for them. Uh, right now, you've got the open enrollment period for Medicare. And so what is happening right now is, is basically it's an annual enrollment period. Uh, and it is for plans called Medicare Advantage and for Prescription Part D. And this just happens this time of the year. One time a year. So if this was June, we wouldn't be getting all this information. Correct. Uh, it's it's typically October the 15th through December the 7th. Um, and it's only for um, Medicare Advantage and Prescription Part D. This has nothing to do with... Uh, Part A of Medicare, nothing to do with Part B of Medicare. This is just for Advantage plans and prescription Part D. All right. So now if I've had a plan, do I should I be shopping it at this time or or should I just say, oh, I'm satisfied with my plan. I keep going. Well, that's where the confusing part, I think, comes in. A lot of our a lot of people that we see will have Medicare supplements. Uh, Medicare supplements do not have an annual enrollment period. And so a lot of the phone calls that come in, hey, I have a supplement. I've had it for three years. Do I need to be doing anything with it? Uh, the answer to that question is typically no. You, you move on and keep your supplement if you're happy with it. Uh, but your prescription Part D is something, yes, that you can change every single year. Um, and that's something that's mandated for you to have. You have to have prescription Part D coverage. Uh, and the reason you might want to change it is that you're taking a different prescription this year than you were taking last year. 
Uh, and so the plan that you had last year may no longer fit your prescriptions that you're taking this year. So Scott, one of the questions, and Scott Jordan also in the program, in the studio with us. Scott, one of the issues that we have, and we see a lot when we're working with people and going through this process, and that we do have a standard answer for them. <laughs> Let's introduce them to Shannon. Let's get Shannon in the room, yeah. but, but the point is, I mean, we see the confusion, and we see the yeah. the... I, I guess I'm going to just say it. Sometimes I don't like this word, but it is this word, a fear of making the wrong decision. Absolutely. What do you think and, about that? I mean, well, you know, it, usually when people are making this decision is during a transition period when they're moving into retirement and there's a lot of big decisions lot of big that are decisions, being made, right. right, that can affect the rest of their life. So they kind of get almost decision fatigue during that process and sometimes don't know the right questions to ask Uh Maybe they're getting advice from friends or family that could be good advice but could not be good advice. I think an important thing that Shannon said was this is a very individualized decision, especially when you're looking at supplements in Part D. You know, it depends on each individual situation, which is the best route to go. Shannon, what would you tell someone? I know Scott and I definitely have a standard answer. Let's call Scott. Let's call Shannon. But, but I mean, it's kind of like one of those situations where whether it's a friend, a family, outside of finding someone like yourself, do they go on .gov and try to figure it out that way? And, and and by the way, this is not this is not. I don't want to say it's not Greek. I don't want to call it. You know, this is not a foreign language. But I have to admit, it can be confusing. It, it can be. And what Scott just said, getting information from friends, family. Um, one of the things that we hear a lot, and people come in, is, "Well, I heard from my friend that I should." Uh, and, <laughs> of course. And yeah. so, I heard from my friend that I should is typically followed by what that person did. Um, and and so, again, it is a very individualized decision. And to answer your question, you, there are resources out there. Uh, Medicare.gov. Uh, you can go to 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 that website. Um, Social Security, the SSA.gov. There's some good information uh, as far as what Part A covers, what Part B covers. Um, but I would really recommend getting a professional to help you through the process just to see there are so many different options that are available to you. Um, what is the best option for you? All right. Let me go through some of the questions, and we'll take a break. I just want to do this first question quickly, and then we'll go into a break, and then we'll come back. But what what about the person that turns 65? Now, they just turned 65, and they, they don't want to retire. They don't – they just, you know, they just enjoy – I'm one of these. I just enjoy what I do. So they have health insurance at their workforce. What are they doing to do about Medicare? This is what we probably see most often uh, today because uh, many people are not retiring uh, when they turn 65. And so what do you do? Um, part A of Medicare is uh, is no cost to you and is for hospitalization. And so typically what we say is go ahead and sign up for Part A if you're going to continue working. Uh, there are some benefits to signing up for Part A with your group plan. It does reduce your uh, medic- medical deductible under your group plan. So there are some advantages of going ahead and taking Part A of Medicare. Um, if you have an HSA, though, or health savings account with your current employer, uh, that you're contributing to, don't take Part A. Uh, so that's another thing. That's very individualized. Should I take Part A? Should I not? Most of the time, yes. Um, and then you don't need Part B because there is a, a there is a cost to Part B, um, and there's really no benefit in taking it if you have a group plan. 
and there is no penalty if you don't take it, if you have a group plan. Uh, you know, if, if you just see how – I mean, I got confused listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I was doing pretty good. But you go, if you don't do part A, you might – so when we come back, we're going to get some clarity on this. I'm going to hold him down and ask him one question at a time so I can understand it. It's complicated. That's what we're talking about, updating the health insurance business. You know, health care, Medicare enrollment. It's all noise. How do, how do you deal with it? You're listening to Talk Money, and I'm Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Memphis changed forever in 1909 when W.C. Handy first came to Bill Street. A song originally written for E.H. Crump's mayoral race established Handy as the first blues musician when the sheet music was published three years later under the title Memphis Blues. After his parents wouldn't let him buy a guitar, Handy devoted every spare moment of his time to playing a cornet. As a young man, Handy worked odd jobs and played in orchestras from Alabama to Indiana until forming a successful band in 1893. But the constant touring and low pay wore on Handy, who traveled with his band until they finally settled in Memphis, where through his writing and playing, he fused his own African-American heritage with American culture as a whole. His music brought people together, and his popularity spanned across racial divides in a radically new way. Although Handy rests in peace today, he lives forever in the Memphis blues. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, you know, I guess one of the biggest issues we have is we try to answer your questions, and, 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 the, and answering those questions can sometimes be very difficult because they're just difficult questions. We appreciate it, though. If you've got a question for us, send it to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we'll put them together and kind of answer the questions over a process. We appreciate the fact that you listen. Some of you are very faithful listeners, and you let us know that. We thank you for that. My guest is Scott Jordan and Shannon Dyson. We're here talking about the update of health care and literally Medicare. Here and uh, it is a complicated system, and yet it shouldn't be, but it is. And you heard all the part A, part B, and if you don't part do, you got to do this in part seventy four and hike and whatever. <laughs> so it's all that. It's just stuff. But let's put some sense to it. When a person turns age sixty five, I'm asking the same question I asked earlier. They get to that point and they got health insurance, and they continue to work through that process with their health insurance. What do they need to do about Medicare? So when when they turn 65, Medicare uh, is available to them. And like we said a minute ago, Part A is no cost to the individual. And you said... So they can pick that plan up, no problem. It is usually a good idea to go ahead and pick that up because it helps with your group deductible. Okay. Um, so if you but, go into the hospital and you have a $5,000 deductible under your group plan, that Part A is going to help you offset some of that some deductible. some of that's going to get paid. Correct. Your Part A is going to pay Because you picked up Part A. All right. Now, then you said something about an HSA plan. If you have a health savings account at work. Health that, savings plan. So if your employer contributes to a health savings account for you, or if you're contributing to one for the tax advantages that a health savings account offers, do not take Part A. Do not take Part A. Even if it's free, even though it is free, do not take it because then you can no longer contribute 
to your health savings account. There's a law written in the health savings account rules and regulations uh, that you, if you have Part A of Medicare, you can no longer contribute to that plan. All right, that makes a lot more sense. That I got it. You know, Scott, did you get it? I, I think mean, I you got, got it. it. You I stay. Got you got it. it all the time. I'm the slow one in this bunch. I got it. Okay. Now let's go to the next phase because here I am retiring. I'm going to take Medicare Part A. I'm going to take Medicare Part B. Right. Right. So, so describe I think, B. I think a good way to think about when you're talking about Medicare and Medicare supplements, because we get these terms confused. Medicare, when we're talking Medicare, we're always talking parts. So you have Part A, Part B, Part D of Medicare. Um, when you're talking about supplements, you should refer to them as plan. So plan G, plan F, different plans with Medicare supplements. So Are they a part of the government plan? Medicare supplements are not. Those are private insurance plans. Uh, so when you retire, you said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to retire now. I am going to go and get my Medicare. I already have Part A. Now I need to sign up for Part B. Uh, part B of Medicare for doctor charges. Uh, anything outside of the hospital. So any type of outpatient charge is what your Part B covers. All right. One of our questions that was asked is that there's a supplement. Is a supplement a part of a government plan? Because the package that they got in the mail, even though it said an insurance company, it looked very governmental. You know the, what I'm saying? It looked like it was. So, so the uh, assumption that this person said, okay, I didn't realize that my supplement was a part of my Medicare government plan, and it's not. It's that- not. No, it, it is private insurance, uh, and a supplement does just what it says. It supplements what Medicare does not pay. Uh, and so Part A and Part B of Medicare both have deductibles. They both have uh, coinsurance percentages that you have to pay as the patient. Um, and so what we advise most people that come in is we say you need some sort of supplement to offset those expenses so you won't have those. So Part B is, let's go back over. Part B is for your doctor charges, any, th- any type of outpatient uh, service that you would have. Uh, that leaves you responsible for 20% of all your charges. And so the person's buying a supplement. So the person's buying a supplement to, to take care of that 20% in coinsurance charges that they would normally be responsible for if they did not have a supplement. All right. Here's the next question that we got, and I think it's a great question. I am very healthy today at 65. I am retiring, part A, part B, and I'm getting a supplemental plan. But I don't take any medication. Now, that's rare. I don't see very many 65, 66-year-olds that are not taking something, but this person was not. Do they need to take Part D? Will they ever be eligible to take Part D? If they just say no now, are they just out? You're not, uh, but you are penalized. Um, and so if you don't take Part D when you are eligible to take Part D, meaning you have retired, you've dropped your group insurance, now you're eligible for Medicare Part B and Part D, which is the prescription. D is the drugs. D is the drugs. If you choose not to take Part D, that is well within your right to do so. Is there a cost for Part D? There is. Uh, so Part D is also run by uh, private insurance carriers. It's regulated by the government. You can actually find the plans on Medicare.gov. Okay. Uh, but there are private insurance carriers that offer the plans. Uh, premiums range from $20 a month up to $80 a month, depending on the plan that fits you. Um, and you choose the plan that fits you based on the prescriptions that you're taking. But to answer your question, you don't have to take Part D, but you will be penalized 1% per month for every month that you don't take it. Um, and you can only elect to take coverage once per year. And so if you choose not to do it when you turn 65 because you have a group plan, uh, that's fine. No penalty. 
once you end your group plan and retire, if you choose not to take Part D at that time, you're going to incur a penalty for not doing so. All right. Now, wait a minute. I want to make sure I get this clear because, again, Scott, you know exactly where I'm headed with this. We hear this all the time where people come in and say, I didn't take Part D. He just said that I get a penalty. Do, 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 do you know yes. what I'm talking about? Yes. So how do you feel about that when we say that to the client? They get a penalty. Is that inclusive to that? Are they, does that, they all understand that, do you think? I don't think they do. I think most people, like you know, like we said, they're making so many decisions, they're confused about all of it. I mean, I, I think it's important to note what he said about, now, if you're still covered under group coverage, you're not going to get that penalty because right. you have that transition period when you actually do in that group coverage. All right, now, I want to zero in on this penalty. Is that penalty for that year that I didn't, if it comes back to where I back to this time again, October to December, it's open enrollment. Can I then get it? Part D and not pay a penalty. You can each year there's an open enrollment period where if you did not take Part D the previous year, you can then enroll into Part D prescription plan. And not have a penalty. You will have a penalty. You'll pay one percent <laughs> per month that you did not take the coverage. So if you turned sixty So if I go twenty four months, thirty six months, I got thirty six percent. Correct. Added to whatever whatever premium that you choose. And the way that I talk to people when they say I don't take prescriptions, why do I need this plan? What's well, you know, just because we've separated health from prescription and Medicare. Normally, when you have a group plan, health and prescriptions are combined. So if I take an, abs- an aspirin, I need to... I need to get. Well, if if think about when you were you're you have a group health plan, and you say I don't need health insurance because I'm healthy. Well, we could talk to you. Well, yeah, but what if something happens? It's the same thing with a prescription plan. It's we're just saying we've separated medical and prescription. That doesn't mean that you don't need prescription coverage, according to what the federal government is saying. Because if you don't take it, we're going to charge you a penalty. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's confusing. I mean, boy, you talk about somebody getting a cost. You decide not to do that, and because you're not taking anything at this point, you got a real problem. You do, and and it's really the the prescription Part D is the the part of Medicare that is most specialized to the person. Uh, we need to know what your prescriptions are so we can help you choose the best plan. When we come back, Scott, I want you to help us walk through what we would ask clients. How do we help clients understand the importance of this? Because I think, again, that's a huge statement that we just just learned, and and that's important. I thank you for listening because we're going to come back and we're going to dive into health insurance too. I'm get Scott's opinion on how we ask you questions or what to do, but we're going to get into the health insurance side, the health plans that are up and for renewal. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Okay, I'm a, a, you know, a, a complete wreck. I've gone through this process of trying to figure out what's going on with Medicare and all the stuff. And, you know, I've decided I didn't do it right. And I had great advice. And I don't think he told me the right stuff at the time. And so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, guys, this We all is, make mistakes. Well, well, I called you. That was my mistake. No, I'm just kidding. The reality is there's so much that this is so confusing. That's why we got so many questions about it. And, Scott, when we're talking to people, and we're going through this process. I mean, we do ask for Shannon's help. But, you know, you hear a lot of this. And, and what do you think about how we go through this? I mean, why is it so important? 
Well, you know, first of all, you know, when people come to us in their transition and retirement, most of the time they're they're coming to us on that investment piece, right? It's, it's kind of their top of mind. They're like, hey, I got this pile of money. How am I going to take an income off of it? And we always kind of back up, and that's where we start the planning process mm, and start looking at, hey, how much money am I going to need budgets? And and a big part of that conversation is the health care piece. And we start asking questions about, have you looked at Medicare Part A and B? What have you made any decisions on that yet? What about Medicare supplements? And and we can speak in a lot of generalities because there's a lot of things that are um, that apply to everyone. And then it, it like Shannon said, it's a very individualized decision. So at some point, we do bring Shannon in to the table to really talk about that. But I think the important thing is we get them to start thinking through that and say, "Hey, I haven't thought about this. I didn't know." There's a lot of things to consider. And and some of it we won't have time to get into today, but you know, Part B premiums are not the same for everybody. Right. They are they are income contingent. So you know, things like that and starting to help people look at that cost of healthcare and retirement because that's a big piece of expense in retirement. Now you look at the the averages and the standard numbers. They say the average person, you know, average couple is going to spend something like three hundred grand on healthcare and retirement, and that sounds insurmountable. Now they don't get that bill all at one time. Right, Usually right. it's it's paid over a lifetime, but it's a lot of money. It's a big piece of that expense in retirement. And we have to get people to thinking about that and focus on and plans and, and make wise decisions because you know, like you you're going back to the person who's healthy and they're like, I don't need these supplements. Right, I don't need right, this part right. D. Why I I'm I don't do anything right now. But you have to get them to really look at that whole lifespan, especially looking at a couple and to make really good decisions on this. That's great. That's great, Scott. Well, let me ask this, Shannon, because we covered basically Medicare. Anything else you want to say about that before we move to just just looking at health insurance this year, open enrollment in health insurance? Obamacare, the whole idea, what's going on there? So, um, yeah, for the, to, to wrap up the Medicare uh, discussion, I would just say that get advice on what you need to do for, for you personally. Uh, what, what your friends and family have done may not be what's right for you, so get advice That's on that. great point. Um, on the, on, for individual health plans for 2019, we are currently in that open enrollment season as well, um, and that is for individual health plans uh, for starting January 1. So the open enrollment period uh, for that is November 1st through December the 15th. Um, in the state of Tennessee, uh, we have more options this year than we've had in the past. In the past, that we've I've been on this show and we've talked about one plan option, Cigna. That was it. Uh, we now have four uh, plans, and so there are more choices. Um, rates have gone down a little bit. Of course, when you've taken double-digit increases for the last five years, a small decrease in premium for this year doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it is a step in the right direction. What about the penalty if you don't have in health insurance? I know that has always been on people's mind. They, they, they say, well, you know, I just can't afford it. Or I don't want to do this, which is an enormous amount of risk. We talk about risk management on the program a lot. But what about the person? Is there a penalty now for not having a health insurance? So the penalty has gone away uh, for 2019. And so... If you didn't have insurance in 2018, you still have to pay the penalty when you file your taxes in 2019. Uh, But if you do not have a health plan in 2019, you no longer pay a penalty for not having uh, for not having health insurance. Your opinion. I just want your opinion. If I don't have if I don't have to pay a penalty, what happens to the risk there? Am I going to take the risk? Well, you take a huge risk. Uh, if you don't take health insurance and say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not. Or if, now that there's not a penalty, I'm just not going to have health insurance. Uh, that's a huge risk. I mean, if you think about um, the the price of health care, um, 
If you're not going to take health insurance, ask a friend or a family member who's been in the hospital to share their medical bills with you and let you see uh, how much they spent when they went into the hospital or when they had a simple surgery. Um, that might change your mind pretty quickly from not having health insurance. That could be devastating. Devastating, yes, absolutely. You mentioned, we've talked about this before on other programs, tax credits or subsidies uh, for when some people enroll. Help us understand, you know, this, who qualifies and how do you... So tax credits or tax subsidies uh, are given to um, people that meet a certain income criteria, um, and it's based on household and income. So the, the larger your household size, uh, the higher your income level can be where you still receive a tax credit. And so a lot of the time that we've heard over the last four or five years, 20% rate increases on healthcare.gov, mm-hmm. 40% rate increases. That really has not affected people that are on the system that are getting the tax credit because what that means is if their income stayed the same, their tax credit just went up by 15% or went up by 30%, and they really felt no pain of the actual increase of the premiums. Um, healthcare.gov, nine out of every 10 people that go on to healthcare.gov to get health insurance receive some form of tax credit or tax subsidy. So that's important for people to know that it's available and they need to be looking for it. Yes. Um, and, and it's, again, it's another confusing uh, piece of, of healthcare. I don't know why healthcare is always confusing, but I feel like I use that word. <laughs> I hate to Const- tell you, you know, yeah, it is it's like healthcare I equals confusing. I kind of do this regularly, and I got confused. It doesn't take it's, much. It is, um, but you know, going onto the system and making sure that you are projecting the correct income. What healthcare.gov asks you to do is to project your next year's income. Um, and so, if you have a, a job where you're not making commissions or not making additional income, it's just W two income. That should be pretty easy to project your income for next year. But you guys have done a great job. Uh, Scott, thank you so much. Scott Jordan with Shoemaker Financial, Shannon Dyson, insurance, Shoemaker Insurance, and, and just done a great job helping us understand this. I know it was confusing, but you did a good job, guys. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. It is difficult, but you've been listening, of course, to The Voice, KWAM 990 FM 107.9. My guest, Kurt Zarnowski, talked about Social Security, Scott Jordan, Shannon Dyson, Medicare and enrollment plans. If you'd like to talk to Shannon or Scott personally, call them at 757-5757. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. And as always, thanks for listening. I, If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on a podcast or past program, go to iTunes and look for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. And thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fordner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.